All right, if you have a Bible, we're continuing on in our series in the Gospel of Mark. So you want to find the Gospel of Mark. We are in chapter 4. And we are going to cover verses 1 through 20. I'm only going to read through verse 9, though, and then Albert will work our way through verse 20 here in just a moment. So Mark, chapter 4, verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Lord, thank you for your word, and we ask God for you to speak to your church. In Jesus' name, amen. We look at a very familiar parable this morning, and, and many have interpreted this parable as one for personal salvation, which is part of it, but not all of it. It's actually a message that's quite a bit more provocative than just personal salvation. What we have here is Jesus speaking in code. And my eldest daughter started to learn coding at school. And so Jesus is actually thousands of years ahead of anything that's happening. But why did he speak in code? Why did he speak in these parables? Well, this was a really, really dangerous message that he was actually delivering. It was a message that was looked upon as treason by the Roman Empire. This was a message that didn't fit in terms of a timeline or an outcome by the religious authorities, by the religious establishment. And so, in other words, what he was talking about regarding the kingdom of God was not going to make anyone in power happy. And so the only people who would be happy about the parables Jesus taught would be people who actually got it. They kind of understood what he was teaching about, what he was preaching about, and those who had faith in what he was teaching about the kingdom of God would actually receive it and understand what he was saying. So here we begin, verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. We find Jesus on this boat pulpit, I guess, once again, which he was in in chapter 3, verse 9. It's actually a fantastic idea. I think that's something that maybe we should practice so that we don't have to be dependent on mics. But the Sea of Galilee has great acoustics, and if you were to speak from the water towards the land, there would be these great acoustics, and it would kind of seize the moment to speak to such a large crowd. And even though there was this large crowd following Jesus, there were some people who didn't have a very fond opinion of Jesus. And one was his family. His family who believed he was just completely out of his mind and the other party was the established basis of a power and authority, namely the Pharisees and the Herodians. We saw last week how Jesus was misunderstood by his family whom 
one would think knew him the best, and we see him misunderstood by the Pharisees and the scribes as well, whom we'd expect would be able to recognize God if God were right in front of their face, but they don't. And even with these huge misunderstandings from his family and the religious establishment, the crowds of people who followed Jesus grew. Now what did Jesus teach? And we've been looking back at this verse almost every week, but this is what he taught. It's in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. It's summarized there. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This was not an unexpected announcement by Jesus. Jews for many generations, they waited for this time to arrive, for Messiah to come as priest, prophet, and king. As priest, by addressing the people's rebellion to God and the way for their redemption of sin. As a prophet, to speak what God had given the prophet to speak to the people. And as king, to reign in righteousness. And people had all sorts of expectations as to how Messiah would be priest, prophet, and king. But two of those very prevalent ideas were, one, that he would end the present day oppression. That whoever was oppressing Israel, the Jews at this time, he would overturn them. He would get rid of them and he would place himself in power. And the second thing is that ruler, that king would reign in righteousness for everlasting, forever. And so those were kind of prevalent thoughts as to when Messiah came, these things would happen. And so this is fairly early in Jesus' ministry here in chapter 4. And the people anticipated a freedom from their Roman oppressors and for this everlasting rule from Messiah as Jesus' teaching seemed to work with their expectations and what he was doing with his miracles, it all provided evidence to the things that he was teaching about and preaching about. So why didn't Jesus kind of capture this momentum and use it in building himself a place to assert himself as king? Now you look at what John wrote in John chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This indeed, the prophet who has come into the world, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now, why did Jesus do that? Why did he not want that? He had all the people behind him. He had a lot of people supporting him to be king. Why didn't he just kind of go along with what they wanted? Why did he go off to the mountain by himself? Well, that king that they were going to put on the throne was a person that they wanted. A king that they wanted. It was a very different king than the king he is. See, he wasn't running this campaign of democracy. The majority doesn't determine whether Jesus is king or not. He just simply is. He is king, regardless of whether people put him on the throne or not. But the expectations of the people were very different from the king that he is. His throne is not established by the number of people who want him there or don't want him there. His throne is his. Now let's read this parable. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. 
Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing, and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. Let's look at verse 10 a little bit. There were people around Jesus in addition to the twelve who asked him about the parables. Now, did you notice that? That they asked him about parables. It's plural. And many people think that what they asked about was this particular parable of the soils or the sower, however your Bible kind of puts it. But it's not. They asked about parables. It's plural. They asked about many parables. And so they had this question for Jesus' parables, not just this one about the soils. And you look back at verse 2, and he was teaching them many things in parables. It's plural. Now the disciples wondered about this way of teaching that in Matthew chapter 13, verse 10, they asked Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? So Jesus answered the question in verse 11, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. The parables, plural, have much to do with the kingdom of heaven. And we'll get to these verses next time in verses 26 and 30, but let's just briefly read them. Chapter 4, verse 26 and 30. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground, Verse 30, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? So we see that the parables speak much about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and who feels home in it. So we're all in the kingdom of God, but we don't all feel at home in the kingdom of God. And there were people who obviously did not feel at home with the kingdom, with Jesus on the throne. For example, his family at the time did not feel at home with this idea. The Pharisees and the scribes, people who listened to Jesus' teachings, who wanted him as king, but they didn't realize the king that he is. All of these people weren't at home with the kingdom of heaven with Jesus as king. Actually, the people most comfortable with the kingdom of God seemed to be the folks who were typically looked down upon. People filled with unclean spirits, the sick, the oppressed, tax collectors, sinners. It's not people whom most others would think would fit in. People like his family or religious people. The parables were stories that made things a little bit more mysterious. There were these precious nuggets within them that needed to be mined and The path in and out of these parables were full of twists and turns, and they weren't all that simple to grasp. And if they were, there wouldn't have been these questions about them. Verse 11, And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Jesus used parables, he used these stories, and it didn't seem to 
help people to easily understand what he was teaching. The secret disclosed to the disciples was that the kingdom has come in Jesus. Through what Jesus taught and did, the kingdom was being established and unfolding right before their eyes in him. And many people there wouldn't be able to recognize that, but some people would be able to recognize that, recognize what's happening through his parables. These people who had faith and trust in Jesus would hear these parables. And it would lead them to this understanding of the kingdom of heaven. And those who didn't have faith or trust in Jesus would hear the same parables, but they wouldn't find the kingdom in what Jesus said. Only by faith will Jesus be recognized as the Son of God. And there are many ideas of what the king should look like. There are many thoughts about whether there should even be a king. And Jesus didn't seem to fit the description for many people. Not just physically, but ideologically, philosophically. Any other Kali you want to add to that? He just doesn't seem to fit for everyone. Now it doesn't mean that he's not king of his kingdom. It just means that not everyone feels at home in his kingdom. The way the kingdom of God would come on the scene was not how people expected There was a belief from the Jews that it would happen just instantaneously. That God would establish his kingdom in a moment. He would overturn the oppressors. He would sit on the throne of the new Israel. And it's simply not so. Jesus said it's more like a sower sowing seed. It's going to take a lot of time. And a lot of the seed, you'll notice, it just kind of goes to waste. Because the soils of the land... It isn't always the right place for that seed to flourish. So Jesus spoke in these parables because what he taught was not going to be well received. Definitely not well received by Rome. Because they don't want to hear about anyone overthrowing them. And not well received by the religious establishment because that's not how they anticipate God delivering them. And so Jesus is a smart guy. He's the smartest person to ever live here, right? And so to come right out and just to give the interpretation to the masses and be very direct, it would have just shut down what he was doing pretty quickly. Right? The Romans would have came down pretty quickly. They would not stand for this. They would have put an end to all that. Most of the Jews would have not liked this news because many would realize that this does not fit into their conception of God. But... People who understood these parables knew the kingdom of God was coming. It was just not coming in the way that they thought it would. And understanding this particular parable is important. Because if you understand this one, being given the secret of the kingdom of God, then you'll understand the kingdom of God. Verses 13 and 14. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? It's a really important one to know. The sower sows the word. It's written in Isaiah 55 verses 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So the seed is the word, 
It's the gospel of Jesus. We are to do the work of an evangelist in sharing the good news and sharing about the kingdom of God. And in the following verses, we read about the soils. The soils are different responses of the word sown by the sower. Verse 15. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So we see that verse 15 is an explanation of verse 4. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Now, how many people remain to listen to Jesus' explanation of this parable? It's in verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. So it wasn't the large crowd that required him to be on the boat teaching from the boat. This was a smaller group that stayed for this explanation. There was a large gathering that heard this parable, this story, but not many who understood it. And so it's much like today. There are many who know the stories of Jesus, but fewer who really understand the teachings of Jesus, even fewer who apply the teachings of Jesus. And verse 15 is the soil when Satan is directly involved. It's the type of soil that is really hard. It's found along a path and it's just kind of packed on because people are walking on it over and over again. And so that it is this soil that's really packed tightly, it's really worn, it's really hardened. And there are some people whose hearts are hardened like this and it's very difficult for the word to be sown into them. And as the word of the kingdom of God sits there, it's exposed and it's taken from evil. Verses 16 and 17 and these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones when they hear the word immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Verses 16 and 17 are explanations of verses 5 and 6. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. These are people who receive the word of the kingdom of God quickly and joyfully. Possibly people who receive the word with great emotion because of a feeling of conviction or a touching story or worship that is moving. And these feelings and these emotions, they're, they're very valuable in how we connect with the kingdom of heaven. But it isn't what anchors us. The feelings and the emotions, these things come and go and they aren't the most consistent in grounding us in our relationships. Like those with the soil that is found along the path, the rocky soil is something we've all witnessed ourselves, right? And also in others. We've experienced those who are definitely hardened to receiving the good news of the kingdom of God. We've also experienced folks who seem really excited in hearing the gospel and they get involved and, and things are going well for them spiritually for a while. Then something happens, something pops up, and then they're uprooted from this. And sometimes we see the same people over and over and over again because the soil is the same. It's the same rocky soil, and they go through this cycle over and over again. And we do what we can to kind of remove rocks, but sometimes we don't see the ones that are deeper in the soil. And sometimes we see these signs of promise, but just as quickly and joyfully that they spring up, they wither. Verses 18 and 19 and others are the ones sown among thorns. Those are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the, de the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things 
enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Verses 18 and 19 are explanations for verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. Now this is something where we've known people to be here as well. And perhaps this is an explanation of where some of us are right now. Where we've heard the word of God but the fruitfulness of what has been sown has been caught up in thorns. The cares of the world are a major thorn. I get it. I get it. We live in one of the most expensive places to live. It is really tough to make ends meet here and living here is just a challenge. I get it. We all have similar cares of the world, don't we? Housing costs, living costs. And once you start working, you start thinking about retirement, health care, education costs, all this stuff. Now, of course, we need to be mindful and responsible about these various things, but I do wonder how much spiritual unfruitfulness is caused by the cares of the world. What costs are we sacrificing spiritually by being too absorbed from the cares of the world? How much of our lack of spiritual fruit can be attributed to the deceitfulness of riches or from the desires for other things? Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Have you ever looked back and wondered how you ended up where you're at? And it's probably not something that happened overnight. If you find yourself distant from God, it didn't happen overnight. It was most likely this gradual choking out of the word. And just as it takes time to gain a deeper understanding of the kingdom of God, and it takes time to establish those roots, distance from this understanding of the kingdom is established over time too. It doesn't just happen overnight. Now verse 20, 
But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. See, bearing fruit is inevitable for seed sown on good soil. It just happens. It's inevitable. How much fruit varies, but it does bear fruit. And fruit is evidence of seed sown on good soil. Jesus also said this about fruit in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Abide meaning to continually be present, to continue being. Bearing fruit is not overnight. It takes time. A fruit-bearing branch requires continual nourishment by remaining attached to that vine. Now back to the parable in Mark chapter 4. We see that the seed is generously sown. It's just kind of scattered. The sower doesn't look for good soil. He just kind of scatters it, right, among rocky soil, among the hardened path, amongst the thorns. He just kind of throws it all out there. We're not like ground inspectors. We just kind of throw things out there, right? And so as a sower, we just kind of sow seed. We spread the word. We spread the news about the kingdom of God. We're told in Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. It's the seed that is divine. We don't do anything but sow it. We don't control it. We don't control the soil. We don't control the seed. We just sow. Now you notice that a lot of what Jesus did created this division in society. A lot of it. Divisions in the religious, in the political, in the social establishments. It brought people to the kingdom of God, but probably not those in power who were thought to be in. We see the people that were coming into the kingdom of God to be sinners, tax collectors, the sick, the powerless. Those were the people who were in. And we see that the parables act as kind of a filtration system. That those caught up with different agendas other than the kingdom of God, they would miss out on what the parables were really teaching and they wouldn't be able to enter in. That filter kind of caught them and prevented them from entering in. Jesus came to reestablish things the way they ought to be. And many are anxious as to why it's not yet so. Right? Things have been messed up for a really long time. They were messed up for them back in Rome. They were messed up for us today. And we just kind of look at things and we're frustrated. Why is there so much injustice? Why is there so much death? Why is there so much violence and crime? And all these different things happening all around the world. But if we lose faith in how God's kingdom is established, aren't we falling into the same expectations as the Pharisees and most of Israel at the time of Jesus? Expecting the kingdom to just come instantaneously. Forgetting that he said this parable. That Jesus said his kingdom would be established in such a way 
as this agrarian picture of a sower sowing seed, that it's not immediate, that this is taking time. And so as one of the soils, which one do you identify yourself with? And what's your response to the word of God, the seed, the kingdom of God? Jesus has revealed a divine revelation to you and to me, but we can only understand it if we believe it, if we trust him. Let me end with this verse in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15. Today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we ask God for those who do have hardened hearts for you to do a supernatural work and to make that good soil. Lord, there's so many different types of soil that we know exist here, Lord, and we're asking, Lord, for it to be good soil. We desire, Lord, a deeper understanding of your parables, a deeper understanding of your love for us. And so, Lord, I ask, God, for your divine intervention into touching people's hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.